0: Greetings everyone. Uh, Greetings and welcome to the Cato Institute's online trade policy forum. I'm Dan Eikenson. I'm director of the Herbert A. Stiefel Center for Trade Policy Studies at the Cato Institute and I am the moderator of today's event, uh, the subject of which is trade policy priorities through the eyes of congressional Democrats. So in order to live up to the promise of that title, uh, we went the extra mile and persuaded two current prominent congressional Democrats who are both very well versed in trade policy to donate some of their precious time and join me and my colleague, Jim Backus, on this virtual stage. Congressman Henry Cuellar represents the 28th District of Texas. In January, he will begin his ninth term uh, in Congress. Congressman Cuellar is a member of the House Democratic Leadership, serving as uh, Chief Deputy Whip. He serves on the House Committee on Appropriations, Subcommittee on Homeland Security, and Subcommittee on State and Foreign Operations. Quayer has been a strong champion of trade over the years, a big supporter of NAFTA uh, and Trade Promotion Authority, and he has sponsored and co-sponsored various pro-trade bills in the current Congress. He once chaired the Congressional Pro-Trade Caucus, uh, which is when I met him, which is maybe 10 years ago. Uh, Stephanie Murphy represents the 7th District of Florida. In January, she will begin her second term in Congress. Congresswoman Murphy serves on the House Ways and Means Committee's Subcommittee on Trade, and Subcommittee on Worker and Family Support. Murphy hosted a three-part series on trade policy this year in which her pro-trade, pro-rule of law, pro-separation of powers perspectives were very much on display. For example, during that series, she said, I think Section 232 is the statute most vulnerable to presidential overreach and therefore most in need of reform. Hear, hear, Congresswoman. Murphy sponsored and co-sponsored several pieces of pro-trade legislation this Congress. Now, to put the cherry on top of the Sunday today, we also have uh, on this virtual stage a former congressional Democrat who, among other endeavors, served as a founding judge and chief judge on the WTO's appellate body after serving in Congress and before joining the Cato Institute as an adjunct scholar. Uh, My colleague, James Backus, represented the 11th and 15th districts of Florida from 1991 to 1995, which is now partially or totally uh, the, the 7th district, represented by Stephanie Murphy. So this year we are going to be uh, we we published a paper by by Jim that was titled Democrats and Trade 2021: A Pro Trade Policy for the Democratic Party, which was really the catalyst for our interest in organizing today's event. Of course, the trade views of congressional Democrats are more diverse than the views of today's speakers, who I would venture to guess are more pro-trade than the average member of the Democratic Caucus. But I expect to get from this discussion a sense of what is important to these members what is important to congressional democrats more broadly and what the expectations for trade policy might be for the next two or even four years we just had an election there will be a new president a democratic president Uh, there will be a new house of representatives controlled by the democrats Uh, there will be a new senate that will have to wait until january to learn which party will be in control so so bear in mind that we are operating today without a clear picture of leadership in, in the first session of the, of the 117th Congress. From a pro trade pers- perspective, there is much uh, to criticize about trade policy over the past four years. The glorification and abuse of tariffs, incessant fixation on trade deficits, prioritizing enforcement over liberalization and trade agreements, prioritizing repatriation of supply chains over efficient production, the mistreatment of longtime allies and robust trade partners, and and the cavalier abandonment of U.S. leadership. Uh, Subversion of the functioning of the WTO is also a problem. Presidential misuse and abuse of the trade laws, especially Section 232 of the Trade Expansion Act of 1962, as well as Section 301 of the Trade Act of 1974. So what are the Democrats' wishes for U.S. trade policy? What obstacles do they foresee? Are they willing and able to remind Americans once again why being for trade is in their best interest and why being against trade is not? So I'm going to turn this over to Jim Backus to give a five-minute overview of the thoughts expressed in his paper to sort of get the ball rolling here. But before doing that, I have just a few housekeeping announcements. First, uh, if you're using social media to communicate about this event, please use the hashtag CatoTrade. That's one word, CatoTrade. Second, please, uh, we we will be taking questions from viewers who are watching through the Cato link, uh, as well as from Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And finally, there are some materials that you may be interested in that are related to the subject of this conversation. Uh, They're available on the Cato website, and I encourage you to to download them and, and read them. So now I'm going to turn it over to Jim. Jim, take it away, please.
1: Thank you, Dan, and thanks to all of you for joining uh, Cato today especially thanks to Stephanie Murphy and Henry Cuellar uh, as Dan already mentioned uh, Stephanie is my representative in Congress and I'm very proud of it but also Henry I want you to know that I went to uh, grade school in Texas a few years ago and um, because I did I had two years of Texas state history so i was made an honorary member of the texas delegation while i served in the house so thus i feel kinship to the both and of course uh, i remain a democrat uh, i am a free trader and i'm someone who says free trade without the next saying but uh, and therefore i stand out in the democratic crowd every now and then as we look at um, a new presidency and a new Congress, uh, I think we need to look at new uh, trade. Uh, I'm a big supporter personally of our President-elect, Joe Biden. Uh, The President-elect has said that uh, when he's sworn in, he wants uh, to uh, uh, put COVID behind us And uh, put our own economic house in order before he begins to negotiate new trade agreements. If uh, he were to ask me what I think he should do, I would tell him that I don't think America can afford a timeout on trade. First of all, we need uh, to um, eliminate the tariffs and other barriers to trade in medical goods and services in order to end the pandemic as soon as we can. And, And second, we can't become competitive uh, as we need to be in this new world economy, if we shield ourselves from competition um, or if we uh, impose tariffs on other countries. Uh, in the paper that Dan mentioned, I uh, outlined uh, a number of proposals. I'll just summarize them now. You can find my paper online on the Cato website if you're interested in reading it. Uh, first of all, I think it's important that Congress reclaim its constitutional authority over trade from the executive branch. Article 1 of Section 8 of the United States Constitution clearly says that uh, it's Congress uh, that has the authority over uh, foreign commerce, and we've forgotten that, ceded too much authority to the executive branch. At the same time, I think any president of the United States uh, needs trade promotion authority in order to negotiate trade agreements. It's about to expire uh, uh, come uh, June and uh, uh, we need to uh, move ahead and uh, pass a new trade promotion authority. The details and the instructions that Congress gives to the president will be very important. Uh, I think second, we have to repeal the unilateral tariffs uh, that the Trump administration has imposed in violation of Uh, international trade law. Uh, I can explain uh, another day why these tariffs are all illegal under WTO law. WTO panels are moving ahead now to decisions that I think will universally uh, rule that uh, the tariffs are illegal. Uh, I think we need to repeal the steel and aluminum tariffs that uh, the Trump administration has imposed on so many countries, uh, our trading partners and our allies. And I also think we need to repeal uh, the unilateral tariffs that have been imposed on China. I see that the uh, president-elect is reluctant uh, to do that. Uh, I suppose he is being told he needs leverage uh, over the Chinese, and uh, he does. But uh, these tariffs are hurting us more than anybody else in terms of our competitiveness, which is reason enough to get rid of them. If we wait until the WTO judges all rule that all of these are illegal, we'll be facing the threat of economic sanctions if we don't comply. And next, I think we need to reaffirm the American commitment to multilateralism. The uh, Trump administration would not even use the word centrality in describing the centrality of the multilateral trading system in world trade. I think that our policy as a country must restore uh, the centrality of the WTO, and uh, that we must uh, once again, reaffirm our commitment to non-discrimination in trade and uh, to lowering barriers to trade. And also I would add to the rule of law in trade. I'm afraid the beltway has bought into the notion that the appellate body of the WTO has gone beyond its remit in the uh, the WTO treaty. This is simply not so, Uh, these are alternative facts. Uh, What we need is to restore the appellate body so that we can continue to uphold the rule of law in trade. Uh, Next, I think we need, in addition to uh, making dispute settlement work again as it should, uh, modernize the WTO. There's an entire 21st century uh, trade agenda that has not yet been addressed in the WTO. Uh, I have a new paper coming out from Cato in which I lay out an agenda that I think uh, can lead to some real progress by the time of the WTO ministerial conference next summer in Kazakhstan. Uh, we could eliminate the barriers to medical uh, goods trade. We can conclude the uh, uh, long uh, negotiations on uh, eliminating tariffs in environmental goods. We can conclude the uh, negotiations of nearly 20 years on imposing disciplines on fisheries subsidies. We can uh, move beyond the trade facilitation agreement of uh, 2013 and include uh, an investment facilitation agreement that could help restore foreign direct investment at a time when it's sorely needed. And lastly, we could begin to introduce digital trade into the WTO. Uh, through a digital trade framework that uh, could uh, start with some of the easy issues on digital trade and build over time toward the harder ones. Um, A big issue, of course, is how we deal with China. And in my view, we need to seek a mutually beneficial uh, trade relationship with China under the international rule of law. The phase one deal that was concluded by the Trump administration is an unrealistic uh, transactional deal uh, that uh, is unlikely ever to be fulfilled in full. Furthermore, it does not address the basic structural uh, issues that are our greatest and uh, our uh, uh, most critical concerns as a country in our commercial relations with China. Uh, and by this, I mean uh, intellectual property violations, uh, investment discrimination, forced technology transfer, um, state-owned enterprises and other forms of subsidies uh, industrially, and all the discrimination that's uh, in between the lines of the Made in China 2025 uh, program. Now, we need to co- get to work together with our allies uh, through uh, co-complaints in the WTO and through negotiations to uh, encourage the Chinese to do a better job of living up to their current WTO obligations uh, through collective action. And we also need to combine together with uh, other like-minded trading partners in uh, negotiating uh, with the Chinese within the WTO uh, to create new uh, WTO rules where rules are needed, but do not yet exist. At the same time, I think it's always good to move forward with bilateral and regional trade agreements uh, where uh, they are building blocks toward trade and not uh, obstacles to trade agreements such as the NAFTA, for example, and uh, these agreements can also be proving grounds for new ideas in trade that can be developed bilaterally or regionally, and then become fully global within the WTO framework. Uh, I think it's very important that uh, one of the first things that uh, the president-elect does is rejoin the uh, what is now called the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, the recent conclusion of the RCEP, uh, among uh, China and other Southeastern Asian countries only underscores how much of a mistake it was for President Trump to withdraw from the TPP. We need also to look at bilateral trade arrangements with the United Kingdom, Japan, Brazil, Kenya, Georgia, and other countries where we can supplement trade and build toward more global uh, arrangements. Uh, And lastly, I'd want to say, uh, as I think any Democrat would, that um, where we have been uh, remiss in the past generation is making certain that uh, the American people uh, were uh, as prepared as they need to be to make the most from lowering barriers to trade. We need to do more to include our uh, human capital, uh, to uh, provide for the education, uh, the training, all the various supports to enable and empower uh, free market capitalism to work as it should uh, for all the American people and not just for some. Uh, Trade has been uh, wrongly accused as a culprit uh, in in, uh, the dislocations, in many instances in the American economy, uh, many uh, of those dislocations uh, relate to automation, new technologies, and the like. But uh, if we're going to move forward in trade, we also need to make certain that our people, all of our people, are prepared as they need to be to make the most from trade. I hope these uh, introductory remarks have been provocative enough uh, to uh, spur Stephanie and Henry onward. Again, I want to uh, thank you uh, all for joining us at Cato.
0: Thank, thanks, Jim. Yes, provocative remarks. I think. Let me let me just uh, turn it over to Congresswoman Murphy and and hear what what she has to say in response to Jim, or just free form uh, to talk about any of the issues that fall within the rubric of this conversation.
2: Great. Thanks so much. Um, and thanks Jim for kicking us off with some really, uh, thought provoking things. I look forward to the, uh, discussion about that. Um, and, uh, thanks Dan, um, and Jim for inviting me to participate in this event. It's really great to be here with my good friend and fellow blue dog, um, Henry Coyar. Um, you know, just, uh, uh, as brief background, I represent a district in Central Florida, and every day I see the economic benefits of trade for my constituents. You know, Florida's goods and services are exported around the world, um, especially to countries in Latin America, and imports to our state enable our consumers to buy diverse products at at good prices. Um, Trade is just really a key part to the quality of our lives um, in Florida. And before I uh, came to Congress, I, um, I worked at the Department of Defense uh, in national security, and I'm a real firm believer that a rules-based trade system um, has the ability to help advance our security interests as well as our economic interests. So given that that's sort of my my perspective, I think the last four years have been characterized by a lot of um, dark clouds and and few silver linings. Um, Just to name a few things, you know, first, the the Trump administration started off by withdrawing from TPP without so much as a debate in Congress about the economic and geostrategic implications. Um, You know, so much for a thoughtful and coherent policy towards China, our greatest uh, international challenge right now. Um, And instead, the TPP countries have now moved on without us, and they even forged an agreement with China. Um, then the president unilaterally imposed tariffs on aluminum and steel imports under Section 232 on friends and foes alike. And um, the national security rationale for these tariffs was dubious at best. And I'll have to tell you, when I sit down with our allies um, from Europe and Asia, they is- express um, real shock and disappointment that uh and anger, I think, that after standing by our side in so many conflicts around the world that we would consider them a national security threat. And I I can't underscore how much this has undermined our ability to work with them to form a united front against China. And then came the tariff war with China, which um, had us imposing tariffs under Section 301 and then the Chinese imposing counter tariffs. You know, don't get me wrong, I'm a hawk on China. I recognize that there, whether it's human rights abuses or how they um, behave uh, from a, a trading perspective, you know, they, they, uh, they're not acting in, in good faith as good members of uh, our global community. And their trade and investment policies clearly violate the letter and the spirit of their WTO commitments. Um, and I'm, I'm worried about their aggressive foreign policy, uh, their human rights records, their use of uh, technology for authoritarian purposes. There are a lot of things that cause a lot of concern, but I think that the, the tariffs and counter tariffs um, haven't really done much to change China's structural behavior. And yet in the meantime, uh, there, those those tariffs and counter tariffs have done significant damage to U.S. households, U.S. businesses, and U.S. farmers. So I think that's an area that, that deserves a, a second look. Beyond TPP withdrawal and the tariff wars, um, I've been really disturbed by the Trump administration's uh, pretty dismissive treatment of the WTO, mm-hmm. uh, especially its destruction of the appellate body, which is the heart of the independent dispute settlement system. Um, You know, if we want a rules-based trading system, we need a place to adjudicate uh, when people um, break the rules. And it is really unfortunate what the Trump administration did to the WTO appellate body. And then finally, I've been um, discouraged by what we haven't seen. Um, So, you know, we haven't seen the passage of a single new and comprehensive trade agreement since 2011. of course, the updating of NAFTA through the USMCA was really important given the trade and security ties we have with Canada and Mexico. And I know Henry and I are proud of the role that we played in that. But we need to forge some new and comprehensive agreements. You know, what the Trump administration has um, seemed to prefer is bilateral and regional. Um, I, I'm sorry. They've preferred mini deals um, that have no congressional input and are really just measures to adjust on the edges, um, tariffs, and really don't um, don't create the kind of uh, agreements um, from a bilateral regional perspective that provides. Um, our trading relationships, the the guidelines and the the framework that makes it beneficial for um, the U.S. and our partners. Um, you know, I, a great example is what they did with Japan. You know, they did a mini deal with Japan, but given the the relationship that we have with Japan, not to mention the shared uh, democratic values as well as similar um, e- economies. Um, they could have done better for Japan through a comprehensive deal rather than a mini deal. And um, I also have to really say that uh, you know, I've been really upset by the Trump administration's chaotic and counterproductive trade policy. Um, i've while i've I've felt been disappointed there, I've also been disappointed by the relative silence from Congress on both sides of the aisle. You know, Republicans used to be the pro-traders, but, all of a sudden they went very silent for fear of crossing the Trump administration. And then trade skeptical Democrats um, only really wanna amplify the cost of trade and they don't seem to fully appreciate or even recognize the many benefits of trade for American workers. So I view the incoming Biden administration against this backdrop. And while I feel comfortable in saying that things can't get any worse, um, I do think that there's a lot of opportunity for them to get better. Um, Though I am the first to admit that the politics of trade continue to be fairly tricky. Um, And especially now that they're all tangled up with the politics of China. Um, But you know, so far so good. Uh, I I believe in uh, uh, the maxim that personnel is policy. Um, I'm encouraged by the uh, announcement uh, that Jake Sullivan will be appointed as a national security advisor and that Tony Blinken will be nominated as a secretary of state and Janet Yellen will be nominated as secretary of the treasury. I I think based on all of their actions and their writings, all of them recognize that trade is an important tool to support American workers and to promote uh, foreign policy goals but they also know how to navigate the political landmines. Um, And we'll see who's chosen as USTR and secretary of commerce, but I suspect uh, those choices will also share a positive view of trade um, and uh, a deftness as it relates to dealing with domestic um, politics. Um, I also, I'm hopeful and I I expect that the Biden administration will um, closely review the 232 tariffs and, and determine whether or not they should be eliminated, reduced or adjusted. And if we can impose tariffs for very weak national security reasons, well, we can't complain when other f- countries follow suit. And we've already heard mumblings from um, some of our uh, trading partners uh, about that. Um, I hope we'll see a review of the 301 tariffs as part of a broader review of our policy towards China, um, which I think the policy should be tough but smart, and um, I also hope that we'll take a look at reviving TPP or something resembling it as part of our broader China policy as well. Um, we owe the country a debate on this issue, um, and you know I, I find it ultimately ironic that uh, the current USTR, um, having withdrawn from TPP, will complain about um, countries receiving preferential treatments that they uh, got because they are a part of TPP uh, with trading partners like Japan. I mean that's uh you know it's just an odd odd perspective um and look i think we should seek reforms at the wto um but let's try to do that in the context of working to get the appellate body up and running again and a new director general in place um you know these the 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 country that's benefiting from the rules based uh world order that we helped build and spent a lot of effort on over the last century um, is China right now and not the US. And so it's, um, it's important that we re-engage in uh, these um, organizations and seek to make them better and um, make them able to hold um, bad actors accountable. Um, I also think we should start making some mutually beneficial trade deals um, with the full participation of Congress. Um, And I'd like to see a deal with Kenya move forward, but um, we need to go beyond that. Um, We also have outstanding issues like the digital service tax, the Airbus dispute, and the need to reauthorize um, trade promotion authority. So we have a really full plate as it uh, it comes to trade. um, And it remains to be seen how much of it uh, the Biden administration has appetite for. And I'll I'll close with this final thought and and look forward to the questions. Um, I'm a proud Democrat. And I have given congressional Republicans a lot of well-deserved grief um, for pl- claiming to be for trade, but not out actually speaking up for trade when the president turned to protectionism. At the same time, I think uh, my colleagues in the Democratic caucus need to show some political courage, too. And that means we need to stand up to forces within our own party whose op- opposition to trade is reflexive rather than reflective. Um, And, you know, I think if we can do those things, we can actually pave a path forward that creates trade policy that will help American workers and American businesses and uh, enhance not only our economic objectives, but our national security objectives. With that, I'll stop there. And I look forward to the discussion.
0: Thank you, Congresswoman. You you raised a lot of very important points in a very short period of time there. So there's a lot for us to, to chew on. It's like you anticipated the questions that are popping up in the uh, in my in my moderator box, uh, you've addressed them already. But uh, let me uh, let let me turn to Congressman Cuellar now to to see how he if there's a, a commonality of concerns, whether there are other fresh concerns, uh, fresh hopes that you might want to raise. Uh, but it looks like we're destined for a very good conversation after Congressman Cuellar's remarks.
3: Thank you, again, thank uh, thank you so much, Dan and Jim, for the work that y'all have uh, been doing at the Cato uh, Institute. I really appreciate the, the readings, uh, uh, Jim, uh, and I appreciate you getting a good education in Texas, at least for a while also. Uh, but it's always a pleasure being here with uh, my good friend, Stephanie Murphy. I also wanna say, uh, Stephanie just joined the leadership. Uh, she's also now a, a chief deputy whip, so I certainly wanna say congratulations uh, to her and her new role also joining uh, Jim Clyburn in, in that uh, position also. Uh, look, uh, trade, if you look at trade uh, history, uh, you all you have to do is look at all the great civilizations uh, in history. And if, when you go back into history, you will see that the great civilizations had one thing in common, and that is they had trade and commerce, a very, very, very strong trade and commerce Uh, and whether it was the Romans or the Greeks or other folks out there, trade is key, and it's key to us right now. My district uh, is a district, uh, I come from a small town, about 250,000 individuals, but we're the largest inland port in the whole country, and at times we surpass the number one port in the country, that is LA, and we become the number one port in the whole country. Uh, there in Laredo, Texas, every day we see between U.S. and Mexico, As, a, as a, just as an example, $1.7 billion of trade between the U.S. and Mexico. Uh, that's more than one minute. Uh, every one minute, that's more than $1 million. So trade is very, very important. And I see this. And Jim, you and I were talking about this before we got started. I'm an attorney by profession, but I also was a small business owner and that is a U.S. custom broker. So I see trade on a daily basis, and I see the jobs that are created—not only the direct jobs, but the secondary jobs, whether it's in transportation, logistics, uh, freight forwarding, U.S. custom broker, and some of the other uh, primary and secondary jobs are created in the United States because of trade. Uh, I was involved, uh, like my good friend uh, uh, Stephanie. Uh, in the uh, in the NAFTA. And if you look at the NAFTA, you know, the new trade agreement, I still call it NAFTA 2.0, uh, 2. because 75% of it is still the same. It's what was done 20 years ago, but now we modernize it. Uh, we had some changes to it, but it's still very important to the U.S. and Mexico, and of course, uh, Canada. Uh, as uh, Steffi said a few minutes ago, there's so many issues that the Trump administration has done that, basically I joined her and I disagree. You know, a few days after he got in, the first thing he did was he got out of the TPP. Uh, I think that was one of the biggest mistakes because the only ones that really gained from that were, was China. Uh, And, you know, the impact that it had on those partners that we left behind uh, is important to note. I remember a couple of years ago, I was um, uh, there in Singapore and we had countries, the Philippines, we had Vietnam, we had other countries in that part of the world. And you know, one question, every time we talked to a delegation from the countries around that area, they would always say, well, you know, the U.S. is not paying attention to us and they don't think they're important. And finally, I had to ask those countries, why do you keep saying this? You know what they said? They said, when you all, the United States, got out of the TPP, that sent a very direct message to us that you just didn't care about this uh, part of the world, and we had to turn around and start doing more business with China. And this is what happened. We leave an agreement uh, like the TPP, or should I say a proposed agreement like the TPP, you, we left out the debate, and like uh, Stephanie said, I hope that the Biden administration will bring this back, and we can have a debate. Uh, the country does is owed a debate on this because if you look at it, forty uh, percent of the world under that trade agreement, we just we just stepped away from it, and we need to look at that. The same thing, you know, the other questions that were brought up, you know, the the tariffs, which I disagree. Uh, also the WTO, you know, also the issues that we looked at that Steffi brought up, those are issues that we need to look at very carefully. And again, uh, not only uh, in in trade agreements, and I agree that we need to look at more trade agreements, uh, but we also need to look at different regions, not only the regions uh, that, uh, that are covered by TPP, but even in Latin America, there are things happening down there uh, with China and Russia, but especially China, uh, under the uh, the National Defense Authorization Act, just a couple of years ago, I added some language there uh, that would call upon looking at a inventory of what the U.S. is doing through the Department of Defense, uh, through the State Department, through U.S.ID. What are we doing in those Latin American countries, and also? take an inventory of what China and Russia are doing in Latin America. And it is amazing what China is doing in our own backyards, whether it's in Mexico, whether it's in Central America, or whether it's in South America. There is a princess princess, uh, growing. The trade between China and those countries uh, is growing very, very quickly. And I think what's going to happen one of these days we are going to wake up and say, hey, what's happening in our own backyard? And this is why those trade agreements, uh, and, I, and I'm not just talking about USAID, I'm talking about trade agreements where we have commerce between our companies and companies in Central America or, or South America or, or Mexico. We have to pay attention to that. And the best way we can pay attention is to engage those countries, and that is through, the, um, uh, through trade agreements. You know, in my you know years when I first started here, I, I have to say this because I think Stephanie said something very important. When I started uh, in my first year, one of the first things I looked at was CAFTA. And if you remember the CAFTA 15, I was one of the CAFTA 15. That is only 15 Democrats that supported CAFTA uh, at that time. And one of the things I saw that, that within our own parties uh, Stephanie said a few minutes ago, there are people within our party that just see the negative things, but don't see the positives of what trade brings in and how we can engage uh, countries. Uh, and I saw that uh, through CAFTA and of course, the Columbia trade agreement and other agreements that we've had. And I've always said since 2005, my first year, when I got into that uh, situation of by, you know, coming in, Uh, from a state like Texas that believes in trade, come up here. And I always saw trade as an economic uh, or security reason, but I saw the politics of what happens. And I said that uh, 16 years ago, uh, that I said it would be a mistake for the Democratic Party to turn away from trade. It would be a mistake for the Democratic Party to turn away from trade. And I still believe that. And and I'm glad that we have strong fighters like uh, Stephanie Murphy and other folks that believe in trade in the Democratic Party. And I think what we did on this uh, NAFTA agreement is the Democratic Party, we put a template there for labor protection, for environment protection, that I, I think we can use now for other trade agreements. So I certainly uh, you know, agree with uh, my colleague uh, Congresswoman uh, Murphy and uh, other members of the Democratic Party that we believe in trade. And certainly uh, I have to say goodbye uh, because I have to go open up the house. Uh, We have a debate starting at four o'clock, but I certainly wanna say thank you, uh, Dan, thank you, Jim, and and thank you to my colleague, uh, Congresswoman uh, Murphy for this. So uh, I have to uh, step out right now because I have to open up and I cannot be late, but I do wanna thank you for the kind invitation.
0: Thank you so much, Congressman Cuellar. I'm sorry to see you go, but if you're going to go vote on a on a trade agreement, okay, that's fine. We'll we'll grant you that. Uh, I guess I guess Congressman Murphy would have to go with you too. We'll need her vote. Um, Jim, I'm going to turn it over to you here. A lot of a lot of food for thought. We talked about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, China, the 301 tariffs, whether we're going to review them, whether President Biden uh, will pull some of those off. Section 232, uh, rescinding the steel and aluminum tariffs. Will we revisit, revise TPP? How are we going to shore up the WTO? Are we going to make new trade deals? What to make of the you know digital services tax uh, and the Boeing Airbus dispute that uh, Congresswoman Murphy raised? So may- maybe you can make a few points on, on some of these issues uh, in, in a form that would invite maybe some, some feedback from Congressman Murphy as well.
1: Thank you, Dan, and and I want to make certain to uh, leave as much time uh, as possible for uh, Stephanie. Uh, just a couple of uh, observations on which she might respond, as she of course knows. Uh, when we decided to uh, lead the TPP, the other eleven countries did not give up and go home. They went on without us, and uh, what they now call their comprehensive and progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, they're doing um, freer trade every day. And we're left out because uh, we left, and therefore we don't get the benefits. Um, so one of my questions for, for Stephanie will be what she thinks about the prospects for us going back into the TPP. I know the President-elect says he wants to make uh, uh, some changes he hasn't said what uh, it's difficult to get other changed countries to make more concessions to us when we made them make concessions take the political hit and then go on home um, a second um, observation in which she may have some thoughts is something that was raised by uh, congressman quayar I remember when the Democratic Party first began to turn against trade, because I was there and tried to stop it. Um, It was during the NAFTA negotiations that it came to a head, and uh, I was one of the strong supporters uh, for the NAFTA. A lot of people have forgotten that we had intended at the time that NAFTA be the first step toward what we called a free trade area of the americas and ftaa we even went down to miami and uh, started negotiations on an ftaa but uh, because of especially democratic resistance uh, we could not move ahead on those negotiations and what happened is that um, brazil then created the mercosur along with uh, Uruguay, Paraguay, and uh, Argentina. And uh, the FDA negotiations uh, were transformed not into expanding NAFTA to include the whole hemisphere, but into a competition between Mercosur and NAFTA that didn't get very far. Uh, so uh, in addition to asking her thoughts on where we're going with the TPP, I'd like to ask her thoughts on the prospects of the... Uh, Expanding our trade with uh, uh, all of Latin America, which she rightly noted is of great importance to uh, her constituents and my neighbors here in Central Florida.
0: Congresswoman Murphy, there you go. Okay.
2: Yeah. Um Well, first, let me take the TPP piece. You know, TPP was negotiated by Obama. So I would imagine that Democrats may be open to taking another look at it. And surely Biden, given the amount of time that has passed um, since uh, the Obama-Biden administration was at the table on TPP, um, he has a right to take another look at it and and see if he can't convince the other nations to make changes. And I'll, I'll note that. Um, when it came to uh, NAFTA 2.0 or USMCA, a lot of folks said to the Democratic Party um, in the last Congress that, hey, the deal has been negotiated. You really can't make changes. And you find that we still are a valuable enough trading partner that people find a way. Um, I know it's a little bit harder Uh, when you're dealing with 11 countries as opposed to just the two that we were dealing with or three countries that were involved with um, USMCA. But um, I don't think anything is permanently set in stone. But I think the bigger point to make is that there is an ongoing debate right now in Congress about um, US and how we're going to handle China. And Republicans are using... Uh, they are amping up anti-China rhetoric, and um, it almost feels like a second McCarthy era to me. In the sense of, you know, if you know, you're socialist or you're communist, that played greatly in the last political um, uh, election that we had. Um, and so there's a lot of energy around uh, China as a threat on uh, the Republican side. And obviously, as Democrats, we should see China um, and some of its aggressive behavior and its human rights violations as things that we want to engage on. And you can't have a China policy that um, checks any of this aggressive behavior without uh a trade policy in the region and without having a presence in the region other than the seventh fleet. And we must have that presence. And so, you know, my hope is that both parties can come or come together around um, seeing the strategic value of TPP, make whatever changes, send it to Congress, let us have hearings and conversations about it, and then let the um, chips fall where they may. But but not reopening the conversation, not talking about that um, is completely disconnected with this broader conversation about how to check China's um, growing economic uh, and military and strategic power. So my hope is that we do we do take another look at it. Then secondly, to the the piece on the Democratic Party and when the Democratic Party turned against trade, you know, um, NAFTA was negotiated some 20 odd years ago. I, I, I'm up roughly. Um, and our economy has changed significantly since uh, that time. And I actually think there's a moment for Democrats to embrace an angle on trade that they haven't um, to date said a whole lot about. We now, and I, the other thing I will say that's changed significantly t- from 20 years ago is that the kinds of districts that Democrats represent uh, tend to be more suburban. Now, we are the centers of uh, services and technology trade. You know, we, and and that is not to um, uh, you know dismiss the importance of ag and manufacturing. That is entirely important, but I feel like sometimes. When we talk about trade in this country, we look at it through the soda straw of just manu- like tangible products, or manufacturing, when the reality is our economy has changed significantly over the last 20 years even, where services takes on a much larger part of our economy, and yet we don't yet have the rules or the tools to... Um, provide the the roadmap for um, trade in services and uh, tech and and kind of our modern economy. And given that Democrats represent the districts where a lot of this uh, kind of uh, services and tech comes out of, we have an opportunity to really represent our constituents in a a way that is helpful and that um, protects workers and uh, promotes businesses, Um, at the same time in an area where I don't think that I think needs more and and fuller development from a trade perspective. And so I think that's an opportunity for um, Democrats to maybe um, look at ways to kind of understand both the benefits and the challenges of trade, but uh, be able to talk about trade, not just in the challenges. And I think you specifically asked about Latin America. And again, here's another place where um, Democrats have an opportunity to live into our values. Trade deals are are a way for us to export some of our values. We saw it in USMCA with the labor provisions. I was shocked that Mexico Accepted some of these very um, uh, uh, very strict terms as it related to labor standards, and um, some might even say, you know, uh, uh, not violated their sovereignty, but but really gave gave a lot of leeway to the U.S. as it related to labor, and that was. That was us using a trade deal to export some democratic values. And so if we say we care about about people in Central America and Latin America, and we care about um, the economic progression of our our near neighbors, and we're worried about the incursions of China into uh, our backyard, then we should look... um, to engage in a more fulsome um, uh, trading relationship uh, with our southern neighbors. Um, so that I think is another era, era, area of opportunity. And maybe I'm being an optimist because I just highlighted a bunch of um, areas of opportunity for Democrats as it relates to trade. Um, but um, I do think you know if we abandon or not abandon but we, recognize that we are representing uh, different communities in a different 21st century American economy, uh, we will find that there are ways in which um, we can highlight the benefits of trade and create winning agreements um, for both workers and businesses.
0: Th- thank you very much for that very comprehensive answer. You've touched upon a, a lot of uh, issues that are being raised in the question box. and. Uh, a lot of those questions touch upon the same similar subjects, the TPP, Trade Promotion Authority, uh, whether or not uh, provisions from USMCA would be demanded by by Democrats in Congress if the United States were to try to rejoin the TPP. Um, so l- l- let me try to condense it uh, and, and say that there was a lot of opposition. I mean, Trump pulled us out of TPP, but it had not yet uh, been subject to a vote in Congress. Uh, it wasn't There wasn't a lot of support from Democrats at the time. Um, have there been s- significant changes? Is it the the landscape with respect to China that will compel Democrats to support uh, uh, the United States re-entering TPP? Would there be demands for uh, the kinds of rules of origin that we see in USMCA, the labor provisions in USMCA, and frankly, does the U.S. have the the, the leverage, the umph, uh, the gravitas, <laughs> to be a demandor uh, when it's trying to enter this kind of an agreement? Um, so let, maybe if you can just fo- uh, comment on that a little bit. Uh, Dan Pearson asks uh, in the question, "What is the path forward for the Democratic Party given the given the amount of skepticism that has prevailed over the over the past 25 years or so? Uh, how how can we?" uh, how, how can free pro traders like you in the party blaze the trail forward for, for Democrats?
2: Yeah, uh, you threw a lot out there and let me see if I can touch on all of it. Um, so but sorry. I, I would imagine that, um, if we relook TPP, we will look to some of the things that were done in USMCA and see if there's a way to translate that. Um, and I also think that as USMCA goes is being implemented, and we kind of see whether how how it gets how some of those provisions play out um, in in practical terms will determine whether or not we'll be. Uh, convincing uh, to our uh, uh, Asian uh, trading partners that uh, some of these things are worth um, importing into their their trade agreement. Um, but it, it takes beginning that conversation. And I think bringing people to the table as, uh, as they were brought to the table for USMCA is incredibly important in building that kind of buy-in. Um, there wasn't, I think, a week or a 48-hour period where um, Trump wasn't uh, engaged with conversation either with USTR or with members of Congress talking about what was important um, to uh you know, his interest groups and, um, what he wanted to see happen, um, as it relates to USMCA and, and how could we, uh, nuance those things and get them, uh, to a place that was satisfactory for all parties at the table. But it all begins with beginning that conversation. And, and I think, um, that will get started with the Biden administration, uh, once they get their folks in place, as it relates to TPA. Um, I, I find it really hard to imagine under the current current circumstances, um, both Democrats and Republicans uh, getting to a place where um, TPA will be renewed or uh, um, in in the next year. So just because we are, uh, we're in a really protectionist moment in Congress. Um, There are several hundred trade bills out there almost all of them are uh, more of the protectionist um, uh, uh, perspective or persuasion than they are of, um, you know, a, a reasonable um, path forward on trade. And I also think just from a political perspective, uh, given some of the areas that had to be won in order for President Biden to be in, um Uh, in the White House uh, will make the politics of trade difficult for this administration, um, but not impossible. And I think um, so long as you have people at the table who understand the economic and national security opportunities uh, as well as domestic politics, you can um, move forward. I just think from a congressional perspective, it's with our margins so tight. I mean, we're looking at possibly a four or five vote margin in the house and then mm-hmm. uh, helped by the Democrats. And then over in the Senate, um, a narrow uh, maybe two seat um, or or dead even split over in the Senate uh, with, um, you know, which party in control still up in the air. So I think with, with those political realities, it's a little hard. So what I think of when it looks like maybe you can't get something across the finish line into law in that particular construct of Congress is it's the moment where you lean into education and you lean into building the echo chamber in which you wanna be able to legislate and start shaping the the narrative and um, educating offices and having people um, Start talking about some of these things. Um, it's an opportunity for um, Congress and the think tank world to, to take a look at what does what what rules and tools need to be made um, for uh, to accommodate for services and um, and and our new economy. Um, and at the same time, how do we make necessary investments in American workers who are in industries that are negatively affected? I mean. Those are all things that we can do in a moment um, when we might not be able to get uh, something like TPA across the finish line. There's a lot of plowing of the field, so to speak, that you can do to change um, the the environment within which you legislate. Very,
0: very good. Can I, can I just trouble you with one one more question, one short question. Uh, there, there, were, there were a lot of people asking about the US-UK agreement and whether there are any prospects for that. And, and uh, you know, w- w- what do you think of that um, in light of the president's comments that, that he's not interested in entering any new trade agreements with anybody uh, anytime soon until major investments are made here at home. Is that disheartening for uh, members of Congress who are interested in trade liberalization? Is it as disheartening as it is to our our, our colleagues in the United Kingdom and in, in the European Union who'd like to see uh, some trade deals with the United States?
2: I think that trade deal, and I'm crystal balling here um, because who knows, but in order for sure. it to proceed under TPA, it has to do so in the next six months, roughly. And it's hard for me to imagine that we can negotiate all the details of a comprehensive trade deal that is worthy of the relationship that we have with the U.K. in that amount of time, not to mention that there's the whole Good Friday um, issue, too, that needs to sort of be resolved as a part of that and that a lot of members of Congress care an awful lot about. So. It, just from a timing perspective, I, that's what i I wonder if we'll be able to to get it done within before TPA expires. But TPA expiring doesn't mean that all trade negotiations stop. It just means that the administration has to engage Congress a little bit more. And after this last uh, administration's complete ignore, like, you know, ignoring, well, not complete, because I guess they had to work with us on USMCA, but on all other trade angles, they they more or less just ran roughshod over Congress. Is that a bad thing to rebuild some trust and re-engage with Congress on trade um, in the absence of TPA? You know, I think you could argue it both ways. And so if it doesn't get done in the next six months, then it Will get progress. Will continue to be made on it, I imagine, because that relationship is too important for us not to have uh, a trade deal, um, but just maybe not on the timeline that uh, some of the parties at the table would hope for.
0: Wonderful, very, very comprehensive uh, answers, and uh, look forward to engaging with you more on these issues. You, you have your finger on the pulse, and uh, I, my understanding is that you're. You, you need to leave uh, shortly um, we started about five minutes late so we're gonna run uh, we're gonna do this for a few more minutes here and I have a question for Jim um, so congresswoman if you if you're able to stay that, that's great um, if you need to leave then thank you very much for your participation yeah
2: I'm about five Jim. minutes late for meeting with this so I probably should duck off and and do that, but I just want to say before I go, thank you both so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope that um, both your viewers and and you all and, and our our office can continue to have the conversation. As I pointed out in some of my remarks, I'm optimistic about all of the um, ground that we can cover. Um, and I always think in in terms of being a legislator is that you know you focus on the 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 daylight, the areas of the possible, and then just keep working on the other things until there's daylight and a path for them and then and push them forward. So I'm, I'm hopeful we can be partners in, in all of that.
0: Wonderful. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, Jim, there's a question directed to you from Ricardo Melendez Ortiz, uh, and he wants to know how you see the choreography from January 20th onwards on, one, the WTO Director General selection, and two, uh, the DSU AB restitution. What, so what can be expected from the new administration with respect to the to the World Trade Organization issues?
1: Full disclosure, uh, Ricardo is a very good friend of mine, and I did not urge him, uh, despite that, to ask that question. The, um, the incoming administration uh, needs to support someone, for director general of the WTO, so the WTO can move forward. Uh, Dr. Ngozi uh, has the support of uh, uh, virtually every country in the world except for the United States and South Korea. Her, her uh, opponent, Ambassador Yu, is, of course, the trade minister of South Korea. a very fine woman a very fine candidate and a trade expert Uh, but uh, she lost out in the internal wto selection process to dr ngozi from nigeria a former senior uh, diplomat with the world bank former finance minister for her country the easy thing for the incoming administration to do uh, to reassure other WTO members of its um, willingness to resume its traditional affirmative and constructive role as a member of the WTO would be to join in a consensus to support Dr. Ngozi. And I I would predict that they probably will. Of course, this risk offending uh, our friends in South Korea uh, because the Trump administration endorsed Mr. Yu. We'll see what happens. Uh, This week, uh, the last of the seven judges on the appellate body is completing her term. So there are now no members of the appellate body of the World Trade Organization. This means that uh, the um, WTO dispute settlement system has been uh, in effect. Uh, reduced to what it was under the GATT, because if a country loses a case before a WTO panel and exercises its right to appeal, there's no one to appeal to. So it's denied its right to appeal under the treaty, and the panel report cannot be adopted by the WTO. Hence, you can block uh, a ruling by appealing. And indeed, (laughs) one of the great acts of so hypocrisy of the Trump administration, that's precisely what the Trump administration did in the case with India, we need to restore the appellate body, uh, appoint seven new members and do it as soon as possible. And, you know, I'm a realist and I understand that regional and political considerations come into all of this, but uh, having served on the appellate body for nearly a decade and twice served as, as the chair, I know that once you step across the threshold of the appellate body, you shed your nationality, Uh, you serve the entire system, not just one country, whatever that country may be. And what we really need to be doing is finding the seven best jurists in the world to serve on the appellate body wherever they may happen to come from. Now, somewhere less than that ideal statement is where we will end up. Uh, But uh, I I believe that in addition to preparing to appoint new members of the appellate body, uh, those who are concerned about this issue need to be, again, thinking about who the best members of the appellate body uh, would be wherever they they may happen to be from, uh, because uh, that question is going to come up soon enough. And I do believe that the Biden administration will move uh, to restore the appellate body i just think it may be a couple of months from now given the fact that as has happened amazingly time and again in the aftermath of presidential elections um, uh, people have forgotten that the united states trade representative exists and no speculation in any of the articles about the members of the cabinet so it's going to be a while.
0: Okay, Jim. Thank you for your uh, very informed answer on that. Um, this is a wrap. Uh, we started late. I apologize for that. We ended late. I apologize for that as well. And I also apologize. That I didn't get to all of your questions. There were quite a few of them there. Um, but uh, come back and ask them next time, and we'll do a better job getting to them. Uh, this uh, a video of this event will be posted uh, very soon uh, on the Cato website as is. as are the materials that I mentioned earlier uh, that are related to the subject of this event. Thanks for joining us. Hope to see you again sometime soon.
1: Take care.